Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, an AAA battery and I love films. As Bill Gates once said, people everywhere love windows and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. They're both flawless. Mm, I don't know that they're comparable, but fair enough, Bill. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, and I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Nish Kumar, Ricky Gervais, Catherine Ryan, and even Head Lambles. But this week, my special guest is the brilliant comedian, actor, writer, and podcaster, Mr. Richard Herring. Get over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you will get the entire episode completely uncut as a video. You also get an extra 20 minutes of chat and questions with Richard, where we discuss the best openings and closings to films. Plus, each guest who does the show tells the Patreons a secret. This week's secret is a smasher, of course, so check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. So how is everyone? Hope you're all all right. Hope everyone is well. It's weird, isn't it, all this? Lots of love to you. So here we go, Richard Herring. Richard Herring, for goodness sakes. If you don't know Richard Herring, you're lying. He is the king of podcasts. He's the king of stand-up. He's the king of stone-clearing. He's the king of playing snooker against himself. He's the king. It's bloody Richard Herring. I was very grateful for him for giving me his time. Uh, We recorded this a couple of weeks ago over Zoom. It's a cracker. You're going to love it. Ah. Anyway, that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 96 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by a actor, a writer, a novelist, a headmaster's <laughs> son, a child... I'm a comedian. And I'll get to that. An adult, <laughs> I'm putting them in order of importance. Okay. A father, a husband, okay. one of the most successful, self-made people I've known, more than Richard Branson, and a, a sketch comedian, and most of all, one of the finest stand-ups of his generation. Please welcome to the show... The brilliant Mr. Richard Herring! Hey, thank you. It's lovely to be on. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you. What an honour. Thank you for doing this. We're doing this in lockdown. Yep. Across a Zoom. You look very well. 
Thank you. I'm yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not I was I last week I thought I'll start trying to diet and exercise and use it as a health farm, but I've been I've stopped drinking last year and I've started drinking this year and I've been yeah. drinking quite a lot, so it hasn't quite worked out. <laughs> but it's been it's been it's been largely I'm lucky I live in the countryside and I'm with people and I like all of them. Yeah. And two of them are quite young and annoying, but it mainly quite uh, it, old... it cheers you up to have two little kids around the place. How old are the young ones? They're five with? and two and a half. So they're... if I could have it as exactly I wanted, I'd have them being maybe five and seven. The two and a half year old is a little bit much to cope with all the time uh, without any ha- outside help and any mother-in-laws coming around to, to take the pressure off and without any babysitters. Uh, but he's lovely and they, they're actually getting on very well together, even though you know he's quite annoying and she's a bit more sensible. So, How is your experience of being a teacher now? Now you're homeschooling. Are you a good well, teacher? Well, I mean, it, it's we haven't had to do too much yet because there was there was the Easter holidays right in the middle of it. So it's and she, my daughter's only five, so it's first year of uh, primary school. It's kind of fun, and she, we they, they've sent us lots of apps and stuff to use, and we do on we go on little nature trails. I'm out in the countryside, as I say. So sometimes they just give you a sheet and say go and find a red flower and a yellow flower and oh, take nice. some photos of it. And go and you know tick off all these things. Those have been really lovely. And actually, getting a little bit of time. The first one I did with just my daughter and my wife looked after my son, and that was actually lovely. You realise how little time you get with them individually, yeah. and you know, certainly in the middle of the day, you would never go out with my my daughter would be at school, you know. So just to go for a walk with my daughter on her own, and it just yeah. I think it's helping to to bond the family a little bit. It's nice. So I understand it's hellish for lots of people, and there's lots of bad things about it still. And we've all been well so far, so it's it's not been a hellish experience for us so far. It's not that different than my actual life, you know. I spend a lot of time here anyway. Yeah. Does your daughter respect <laughs> you uh, as a teacher? No. Right. No, she doesn't. She doesn't respect me as a father or a teacher. She's very, <laughs> she's very much a teenager already. And uh, I, she loves her mum, and she just takes the piss out of me constantly, and like sometimes a bit cruelly, but usually I think she thinks she's being funny. Usually, so she she knows that I like jokes, so she's trying to be funny, but sometimes it's pretty brutal. Really. She like heck- heckles you as you move around the house. <laughs> it's really sort of, you know, she tells me how fat I am. She tells me she wishes I was dead and all this sort of stuff. But she does, you know. I think she, does, I think she does know what she's what it means exactly. But she always looks to me if her, if she's trying to be funny. She if I yeah. if I laugh. Well, if she, if she makes her mum laugh, she's pleased, more pleased because I laugh at everything. But she's always, you know, you can you can see her trying to be funny and then looking across at me to see if I'm laughing at it. So, wow. um, they're you know they're they're basically at my level of humour of their fart jokes and poo jokes and. So she says, "I wish you were dead," and then gives you a cheeky look like. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's when she doesn't give me the little wink that it's that then it's upsetting. But um, but no, it's weirdly I think we this has brought us all a bit closer together really. So she's being a little bit nicer so nice. to me uh, and. Over overall, but yeah, it's it's a you sort of assume being a father, your kids, and I don't know why you assume this because you it's not how you were as a kid, but your kids will be grateful and love you, and certainly when they're little, the little all just but you know they're just exactly the same as we were when we were kids and horrible little pricks being selfish yeah. <laughs> and not, and testing the water to see what they could do, and my daughter just instantaneously recognised me as the as the the weak, the weak member link. of the family that she could that she could pick off. She's very high status and she she doesn't. She, it's difficult to teach her because she goes, no, I know how you try to show her how to do one little thing on the computer or whatever. No, I do. and she can't do it. She goes, I can do it, and she can't. So she's very headstrong. I don't know where she gets it from. I don't understand that. 
Uh, I've just realised something, which is I remember being a kid and I've now seen it with my nephew and niece and I think it is just what kids do, which is you finish school and your mum and dad go, how was school? And you go, right, what happened? Nothing. Yeah. And they're always like, what happened? Nothing. Nothing. And all they want to know is what happened. And now I'm thinking with all this house homeschooling, all the parents <laughs> are going to be like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. It really it's was. a good point. It's it really was point. nothing. <laughs> Ah, well, I'm so glad to hear because I've heard a lot of people want to murder their children and wife, so it sounds like you're doing pretty well. Yeah, I think if anything, we're getting on better than usual, so that's kind of, you know, there's there, yeah, there's ups and downs in any so, marriage. But, uh, fingers crossed it continues. <laughs> yeah, let's stay. <laughs> if my wife has no opportunity to escape from me, she goes, well, I, I might as well just make the best of it. But yes, we'll get, I mean, it, me, I think it shows we like each other really, so it's yeah. it's good. Are you missing stand-up? Are you missing going out and touring? Uh, not that much, because I wasn't doing that much. I, did, I was stand, doing a lot of stand-up, and then, uh, like, the uh, Frig and 50 was the last show I did, and I, uh, that finished about nearly coming on for two years ago, and I made a decision not to tour stand-up for a bit and not write stand-up for a bit. So I haven't done... I've only done about three or four little charity gigs in stand-up. Okay. I've obviously been doing the podcasts, the Rahelista podcast, yeah. and I was touring those. But... It, and and, the, and I've missed out on quite a few. It's been annoying because I thought this is a really good year. There was a few big things coming up, a couple of telly things that I was really looking oh, forward shit. to, hopefully which will be rearranged. But, like, at the end of March, particularly, just a couple of... Uh, the Birmingham Podcast Festival where I'd sold uh, over a 1,000 yeah. tickets... Uh, a gig I was doing it for O2 at the O2, but not at the big O2, but still yeah. a very well-paid gig. I was the corporate gig I was doing, yeah. and and boat, and I was sort of looking at the ah, oh, this is all right. This month is going to sort of see me through for <laughs> most of the year, and then suddenly all that's ripped away. But luckily, um, you know, I've obviously the the online presence I've sort of built up is is a great thing. So I've been I was planning to get into Twitch anyway, and that sort of really jump started getting to Twitch, which I so I can do some of my crazy snooker and stone clearing yeah. stuff as well as uh Rahela stuff as live streamed uh yeah. and you know we're still the podcast we still we did so many last year we actually started spunking them out and doing two a week because we had so many in in the storerom you know and thinking oh, if we don't do this out we won't have, we'll, we, <laughs> we won't be putting out the ones we're doing now till october which would have been good but we get we did about <laughs> three months of two a week so we could have been going for another th- three months i suppose yeah. if we'd, if we'd done one a month but but you know, there's there's some. There, we luckily the thing that was the the best thing of the year, maybe my life, was that Michael Palin did. Um, no offense, my wife accepts this, uh, and my children will accept it. Uh, Michael Palin was did the first one of the London the London run, which was the last one we did. So yeah. I got it in. I think if we'd had, you know, I'd got him in right at the beginning of the year. I think Jan- January the sixth, they said they'd do it, and I was so looking forward to it. And I think if that one had been cancelled, yeah. as all the rest were, it would have been destroyed me but it was just so wonderful to 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 do Michael Penn. were you nervous with him do you get nervous with with bigger people or people you some of the bigger like? people but Palin is Palin's like literally my absolute comedy hero so yeah. it's uh, I it was I was ex- I mean I like to the extent I think it it wasn't as it's still a great podcast thing. it hasn't gone out yet but it, it, I, I was so in awe that I couldn't really be the Richard Herring character that I like to be on that podcast. So it yeah. was, I was, I was very reverent. And I think, and actually I just wish I'd, it, it's such a difficult one because you've got someone with such a rich career and like five or six careers really. And they're mm. all, t- it's a game all the way. And you've got an hour to talk to them. You're thinking, how am I going to get all of this stuff in? 
And so I didn't want to dick around with all the stupid questions. But when I did all the stupid questions backstage in the little interview I did, he was actually great. And I just wish he basically improvised. We'll talk about Life of Brian a lot, I think, on this, <laughs> this okay. podcast. But he improvised a scene, a new scene for Life of Brian, basically, because I asked him a question about um, King Herod. And he said, yeah. oh, yeah, we never did that in Life of Brian. And then basically did it. started improvising a scene as King Herod. Um, and so I kind of wish I'd given him more opportunity in the interview to do that sort of stuff. Though he was pretty, he was he was still great, and uh, I was a little bit cheeky, but it was I was surprised. I thought I might cry, and I thought I might you know dry up, and I it was all right. So I did, I got through it without uh, being over and overly emotional, and it, and and actually on stage it was fine. But I was I was very you know because it was it's the it's the pressure of you know I think often when it's someone. When I had someone like Terry Hall, who I love, but I'm not a big muso, um, and he's one of my favourite musicians, but I'm aware that the Terry Halls, the specials fans, and are going to be watching it, and you kind of go, I don't really know enough about music to do this justice. So those ones are nerve- more nerve-wracking for me, but, you know, I did know so much about Palin, and, uh, yeah, I, it was, it was, he was so lovely as well. You know, you sort of worry he'll be... yeah turn out to be not a nice person not that I knew he would that wouldn't happen because everyone said how lovely he was but he was just so self-effacing and um modest and you know and up for it it was it was really lovely so it was really lucky to get him um great yeah so so that was that was awesome so that was that was the best you know that that was probably going to be the highlight of the year so it just did happen I think if that hadn't happened I would be a lot more anti the coronavirus than I am I think the coronavirus is okay it gets a bad press you see, think you've been really pro it, and I think it's refreshing. <laughs> it's refreshing. Even though it's cost me a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but it saved your marriage. Yeah, but I'm, 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 it saved my marriage. I met Michael Payne, and I'm happy. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, it, I'm so lucky to have this outlet and to, you know, A, to have got to a point where I'm reasonably comfortably off anyway, but uh, it's... You know, I'm I'm sort of very fearful about the future of live comedy if this goes on for very yeah. much longer. You know, I think clubs are it's the clubs as much as the comedians. At least the comedians can probably find some part time work to get them through to the other yeah. side of it. But if their clubs aren't there when they come back, and the theatres aren't there, and the arts centres aren't back, you know, that will that's where it's going to be telling. And, and it's difficult to say to people, "Hey, think think about the comedians. No one's thinking about yeah. the comedians and all this." But it's but it's important, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's all any self employed people, obviously anyone who's uh, running a business or or just working week to week. So um, I've sort of been trying to kind of encourage everyone to to think about that a little bit as well as all the heroes who are actually doing the proper work and saving our lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Richard. Yes. Oh shit. I've forgotten to tell you something. Oh no. <laughs> this is bad. This is what? really bad. I should have said it up top. <laughs> it's weird we've been talking about all this stuff, how happy you are in your family. Yeah. This is gonna come as a real down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck it I should have texted it to you giving me some time to think about it I'll just say it you, I'll say it I guess you've died oh god I thought something was a bit weird yeah. I thought things were going too well okay, that's, that's, that's how you know I'm so You're sorry how did you die um, I think I probably died being crushed under a pile of stones that I'd gathered around the field near my house and got them to such a stupendous height, threw one in and then this the whole thing. It's kind of where I want to be buried, so I'm happy with that. I kind of want to be buried. On, I, I, I gather stones from my field. Do you know about this about me, Brett? Um, I, I, I have a stone-clearing podcast. The, yes. 
So I started walking my dog about 18 months ago around a field, and it was very stony. And I just started, there was one little cairn in the corner and uh, a pile of stones that people had picked up. And I kind of thought, well, I can use this time productively and started putting stones to the side to help. I don't know if it helps the farmer or not, but I just thought it was something to do with the time. And then I became quite obsessed with it and then like seriously obsessed with it. And then I did a podcast about it where I treat it as a sort of a joke, but I was doing it for reals. Uh, And so now I do a podcast that's... um, Recommend ch- telling people how to clear stones off a field in my attempt to clear about a billion stones off a 35-acre field and then build a wall that can be visible from space. So that I'm, I'm imagining that wall got a bit higher than I expected it to, and it's not been structurally tested. I'm not I'm not a surveyor or an architect, right. so it's, it, it could easily fall and kill someone, so it'd be Was ironic it, if it killed uh, Did it happen live on Twitch, your death? I hope so, Yes. Yeah. Although the Twitch is very unreliable out there, so probably what happened is it happened and I didn't manage to catch it on Twitch. There was a great stone clear, which I wasn't recording, where I thought I was going to die before, where a massive hailstorm hit the field. I was out at night time and uh, massive, and I could see lightning approaching in a straight, you know, hitting the ground, yeah. a straight line, like half a mile away, then a bit closer. And I thought, I, and I was right in the middle of the field. There was no way of escaping. Yeah. I was being hit by hailstones and thinking, I'm just about to get hit by lightning and I'm not even recording it. So I can't even. This is a waste. <laughs> and it was, it was too, I couldn't get to my phone. So yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm certain I would have been trying to record it. I hope that my death is podcasted. Uh, mm. I would hope it would be, but uh, it, I doubt. I doubt it was. I like that your instinct as lightning was coming towards you was to grab your phone to make sure. <laughs> make sure it hit you. I'm over here. A lot of things happen out there. You'd think it would be quite an uneventful. There's been yeah. a fire out there the other day. The, the ploughing starts, and then you, I was being buzzed by tractors. There was fire engines on this field when there was a fire. The, the whole crop, the whole burnt stubble, um, the stubble burnt up and started set fire to the back of the fences there. Uh, and I was out there stone clearing. It wasn't my fault. I have you could I could have started some fires, but I didn't start that one. There is flint out there, so I'd quite like to be buried under that cairn anyway. So if it's buried me, that's okay. I thought like as a sort of pyramid. Well, it's a time saving, time yeah. saving and money saving. If you if you, yeah. if what kills you is how you are buried as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so well, I'd stay. I'd, I want to stay there. It's efficient. Um, do you yeah. worry about death? I've seen your. Sh- you wrote a whole show about it. I did write a whole show it's about brilliant. it. I sort of think about it constantly. And I still, even though I think about it constantly, every now and again, I think I sort of think, oh no, but actually, I am actually really going to die. <laughs> and I, but most of the time, it's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to die. I think yeah. about it all the time, you know. And then this has brought, you know, this has brought home. I think like realizing that as a 52 year old man who's a bit overweight, suddenly when they start saying. It's over fifty, you know. If you're over fifty, yeah. you're overweight. You might might get. You. So you suddenly go, oh, you know, that is it, it is an ever present possibility. And I think I wouldn't. I've, I've had a nice life, and um, I, from that point of view, it wouldn't be like the worst thing in the world. I think just having young kids suddenly brings home again. You go, but uh, they'd be okay. But I'd like them to remember me, and I'd like them that you know, I'd like to not have a replacement dad. It would be you, I bet as well. It'd be fucking yeah, no, of course it would. You'd yeah. be in there straight. You'd <laughs> leave about four months and straight in. You'd have to look after the kids. Well, also, I'd be in there quicker than I'd planned because I didn't realise we had to. But I thought we were going to spend time burying you, but you'd done that for us. So I was, <laughs> I'm straight over. <laughs> so I, for my kids, I would like to, to you know, you want to sort of see how the story progresses, don't you? It's um. And I would love to, you know, it's very, it's fascinating seeing kids grow and their personalities grow. And there's a part of you goes, oh, I wish I could just see mm. them at 21 right now and see what they're like and what they're, you know. And, but you also go, 
it passes so fast and you're 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 doing so much management and yeah. so much telling off and so much just trying to get to the end of the day so you can go to sleep <clears throat> it's it's very easy to forget to sort of enjoy each little time period and and because they're they're this age is both these ages are incredible they're really good fun but there's a big part of me that go i wish they were just both for a day you could just see them at 18 and 16 wow, or 20 that's and 18 so interesting. can i ask you a question i i i, I this is a sub, side, side question quick yeah. one your children are two and a half and five do you think their personalities that they have they were born with or they've become this way through you know being around you and all that I th- it's a very big question. It's a lot of Shakespeare's plays are about this, Brett. I don't know if I can give you the full answer, but I, I, I think I don't read that shit. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think they are pretty much born how they are, right? My mm. my daughter was always feisty right from the start. She came out really crying, but it had been a kind of a bit of a difficult. I think she'd sort of been a bit hurt coming out. They had to use a suction thing to get her out, and for the first hour of her life, she was really crying. And I thought, oh God, someone had told me that's how they are. However, however they are in the first hour, that's how they are. And she was crying for an hour. But she then actually hardly ever properly cried again, uh, like in, in that way. So she's been very calm and she's, she's, you know, I think you could see just very on, she was early on, she was just very forthright and self-assured. And you kind of, what you're hoping is you're not going to knock that out of them somehow, <laughs> which is, because I think kids are a little bit more confident until the, you know, until those things happen. So you're, you're, my main worry is I, we do something to change her and make her worse. Right, but I yeah. think she's, I think she's very assured and, uh, and my, you know, I'm, and yeah, my son is very is sweet, and you know, they're they're very different personalities. And I think if you were bringing, I mean, not that she's not sweet, but he's very innocent and sweet and uh, affectionate. And and my daughter's a, a, a lot tougher of a cookie to crack in that regard. You know, she's a lot more; she'll take her time and judge things. Um, so I think that yeah, I don't, they both had the same basic upbringing, I suppose. So it's, it would be weird if they, you know, if they would if the, they would have to be the same, wouldn't they? And they're not the same. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's the, it. That's the fucking answer. Yeah. <laughs> it would be the same. Me and my sister are not the same. Same upbringing. <sighs> Although, you know, you've then... Why is Shakespeare then writing your... 25 plays about it? <laughs> it's simple. But then you have to take into account... The so it's weird, having the, old, the older siblings and the younger siblings are a very interesting thing, you know, and so he looks up to her so much and... So you are influenced then, the, the second one's influenced by the older one in different ways and then either is becomes like them or yeah. veers away from them, I suppose. So yeah, it's it's more complicated than than we've made it out to be, but uh, we've we've pretty, pretty much got there. I think siblings are more more influential than parents. Yeah, I think I'm the way I am in relation to my sister more than how my mum and dad raised me. That might be true, and I think it is. It's really important. It's it's and it's a big thing, and it's uh, you know I think my my brother and sister are both five six years older than me, so it was that's really difficult. Mm. Uh, I think I had a very cl- I was close to my sister and my brother was you know I was more annoying to my brother who was you know was at 10 when I was four or whatever you know and it's and 14 when I was at eight uh and you know he he would he'd beat you know he'd bully me a little bit as brothers would do because and, and I would have deserved it no Richard you were four <laughs> but uh yeah so I think it, that certainly does affect things and I deserved it. That's so sad. Four-year-old <laughs> trudging off. Yeah, I'm to not bed. victim blaming the four-year-old Rich Daring. Oh, I deserved it, I suppose. Good night, Dad. <laughs> uh, what uh, do you think? There's an afterlife. You're from a religious background. My correct? my parents are were. I mean, are and were religious. I think they're kind of not as strongly faithful as they were. 
I don't think there is an afterlife, and I kind of hope there isn't an afterlife. That's that's sort of what that we're all going to die show was partly about. The kind of idea of living forever, I think, is you know what makes life a work is that you have a limited amount of time, but b the idea of being eternal, and and you know, and not having a body as well. The body is the best thing about being alive. I think the physical aspects of being alive are the best things. As spiritual as I am, I don't want to spend the rest of the time without. You know all of the blowing about with all the good stuff, and also just the idea of living for eternity. You would get everything that you wanted done, <laughs> thought, and done. So you, as a ghost, you as a ghost, are just floating around, going, "I can't even have a wank." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would be exactly that. <laughs> What's the fucking point? <laughs> and you're in heaven, and you haven't. You know, but everything, eating, blinking, you wouldn't have. I mean, I don't know how it works. How you see without eyes? I don't mm. know how you. So it doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't, and I wouldn't, you know, and I'd probably be going downstairs rather than upstairs anyway. So the idea of yeah, being burnt true. up for eternity is is even worse. And I was watching that George Carlin routine about that. You know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to burn forever in hell. But he loves you. He loves you. Uh, it's a very weird. It's a very weird. I, you know, the the punishment is much worse than anything that you could possibly have done in your life. Yeah. Uh, so I don't believe in that. And yeah, I do. You know, things can change, and uh, you know, time might not be the same, and blah blah blah. But I, I see no reason why. We should carry on afterwards, and we did. We weren't here before, unless you know we had it all wiped from our minds. So what? That we didn't have a problem with not being here for the infinite amount of years there were before, let's mm. say thirteen billion, if there was no time. Sure. Uh, so it, it's not. It, it it doesn't logically. It doesn't make sense that we would be hanging around somewhere for. It does seem thirteen an, billion years. It does seem an inefficient system. The reincarnation thing to wipe your memory every time you start again. Yeah. It does Unless seem you're like, hypnotized, like because that be yeah. What are you if you're constantly having to learn and get better? It's like, oh, but by the way, yeah, I won't tell you what you learn. And you know, you progress from uh, being an insect upwards. I think Stuart used to do a routine about you know how do you be a bad you know how do you be a good or a bad fly? You know how does how does the fly get to the point where you oh you're allowed to become a you know a mouse yeah. now because you've been a good fly. There's no moral system. So, um, you know, I, I think logically I'd be... And no, I, say, I don't know if I would be like to be proven wrong. It would be nice to know what happens. It would be nice to uh, have an investment in the next generation or two that you could, you could see how your kids and grandkids got on. But equally, it would be tedious. And then after a while, it just becomes too many people to cope with, doesn't it? If they, yeah. if they all keep breeding... So it doesn't make any sense to me. So, but I, and I'm not. I don't, I'd like to stay alive, and I. I also think having a time limit to life means that you. I think if you were, if you we lived forever, I think you would just not really bother doing anything. I think life would become yeah. tedious. But the idea, you know, that jeopardy that you could just get run over tomorrow or fall under a pile of stones or catch a terrible disease, um, you know, keeps you going. Your keeps everything and keeps <laughs> keeps you moving. <laughs> So um, you know, it's and and I think that I think within we're all going to die. I think I talked about this, but it's it's though it's the fear of losing someone that makes you that attaches you to people. So as as mm. awful it is, it is if someone does die that you love deeply. That's the payoff, isn't it? To the the de- the the sorrow is the payoff to the the pleasure and the happiness you get from someone. And if you couldn't lose them, I don't think you would be as attached to them in life. So the 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 biggest fear is losing the the kid my kids is obviously much more of a fear mm. than losing myself you know it, it's heart you know you waste so much of your life thinking about that but it's it's all there to 
make you try and protect them and love them and stay close to them. But you know, again, it's, it's about appreciating appreciating yeah. people while they're here and being alive. But yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything coming. Sorry, Brett. Well, Richard, uh, I've actually got terrible news for you. This is worse what? than the previous news. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There is an afterlife. It goes oh, on no. fucking ever. <laughs> <laughs> and all that, all that work you did, you were like, oh, I better get this done. You had so much time. <laughs> you had loads of time. There's a heaven and uh, everything. Oh, well, that's good. I suppose it's good in a way. Yeah, it's all right. And listen, they're, they're giving you a body that you can masturbate in when you need. That's good. <laughs> so you're fine. All of my films are just porn films. <laughs> okay. So in this heaven, they're yeah. obsessed with films, as, yeah. as they would be. And they want to know about your life through film. And the first thing okay. they ask you... What is the first film you remember seeing, Richard Herring? Well, is, is this like the first film? I think. Well, I think it's the both the, the answers the same anyway. But if you're talking about the first film in a cinema, I, I think the first we didn't go to the cinema very much at all when I was uh, a kid. Right. So I do remember a lot of the times of us going. I remember. Um, maybe we'll talk about that later. But I remember going, starting to go a bit more when I was a teenager with my friends. And they'd been a lot more than I had to the extent, you know, I think we went to see some like the second Indiana Jones films and I'd never even heard of Indiana Jones. And I went to see the second one and I couldn't understand why everyone was laughing at all the, the back references, you know. So we were really, I don't know why, we lived in the countryside and, you know, my parents weren't like, you know, they were sort of quite old-fashioned. Um, but we did, but then they set up a film club at school, so it's kind of weird. So they were into film. We, the first film I remember seeing is a double bill of James Bond films, and I'm not 100% sure what they were. I would have been about five or six, I think. I, I'm pretty sure one of them was Dr. No, and I'm yeah. guessing the other one was Goldfinger. I think it was like a double bill of not current James Bond films, which would have been, a, you know, in the 19, early 70s, 74, something like that. At the cinema, you saw these? Yeah, we went to the cinema and saw a double, so it was like two films in a row. So I remember it feeling like the first time I'd ever been to the cinema, because yeah. that's that's the deal I remember about it more than the films. I remember some, I have a vague memory of something happening on a plane. I don't know which James Bond film that is. Mm, that, 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 not sure uh, that narrows it down. There's a few on. of them, though. But, uh, <laughs> there was a gun. <laughs> there was, he said, there was a... my name's Bond, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's Dr. No. Uh, last night, I had a, it's probably because of this, but I had a dream I was watching a James Bond film that was sort of partly in, but it was horrifically violent. And James Bond was psychopathic. Uh, and he caught, caught this villain who was trying to do something terrible. Uh, and he started cutting up his sinews in his body so he couldn't move. So I don't know if that's because of I knew I was going to be talking to you about James Bond. But yeah. I had this absolutely terrifying dream about a made-up James Bond film that went on for ages. And you and were was in awful. It? I was sort of in it? in it, but I was mainly watching it. Uh, and I think just occasionally I was in it. And then Al Murray... Had... You were like an extra in it. I think I, was, I, would, I wasn't James Bond because I was horrified by what James Bond was doing, but I think I was helping James Bond or he was saving me or something. And there was a bad, a bad man. And there was a bit on the plane in that as well, actually. There was a plane and the villain did escape. Yeah. Even though his sinews... It's not as good as a proper James Bond, but Al Murray had recommended it and was very upset that I didn't like the film in the dream. That you were also was, in so that, that you hadn't heard of. Was, yeah, I was in this. Uh, and I forgot. <laughs> but yeah, I don't remember much about the Doctor No and Goldfinger double bill. But I remember that feeling of being in a cinema and that excitement of seeing two films in a row, which used to happen a lot in the old mm. days. There used to be a lot, and probably one of the other things I'll talk about later is, uh, is double bills. Uh, and often it would be like a film you didn't weren't interested in. So there'd be a you know B film and a, and a main feature. Sometimes it'd be two you know, films that were of equal standing. There'd sometimes be a little 
mini film in between. It makes it sound like I'm from the 1920s, but... (laughs) There was a war thing. Yeah. (laughs) But there used to be like a little... Yeah, newsreel. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I, th- I remember the excitement of going to the cinema, and I remember it was kind of an unusual thing. And was it all of you, all five of you? Was it your mum and dad? Yeah, it would have been. It would have been the whole family, I think. Um, yeah, if I was there, it must have been the whole family. But yeah, I don't remember much beyond the it being unusual that we'd gone to the cinema, and I must have seen films like on TV. But again, in those days, TV yeah. films weren't. The, the deal, you know, you were watching a lot of uh, Lauren Hardy and, uh, you know, old stuff on t- on TV and then at Christmas something would come along that was a big film and you might be excited about. Wow. But I don't, I don't think... I don't Do think you I remember massive... being like, oh, this is amazing, what, what is this place? I, I think, I remember knowing it was unusual. I don't think it was, I don't think early on I was that into it. I, I became much more into film than anything else for a while, aside from probably TV comedy, but a lot of my, a lot of my, film choices of comedy as well so it was a place where you got a chance to see again some of the comedy that you wouldn't be able, been allowed to see on tv possibly as well but uh, i think it was later that i sort of i mean even more like into my 20s that i sort of got into going to the cinema on a regular regular basis but we lived in cheddar and there's no cinema in cheddar except when the king's wessex had a film club a bit later on and then there was and um, we'll talk about this after there was wells and western supermare both of them about an hour away on the bus and that was the only way we could get anywhere yeah. Uh, and unless a parent was prepared to drive some pickers up, which uh, we sometimes managed to wangle. Again, I'll probably talk about that later on because some, <laughs> some, I don't know how we went. We went and saw lots of inappropriate films at the cinema and somehow got picked up by our parents. But then videos came out and then we, then we re- when we were about 14, 13, 14 videos came out and that's when we started watching a lot of things we should not have been watching uh, at home. Which maybe brings me to the next question. Yeah. Which is, what is the film that scared you the most, Richard Herring? I don't think this was, I don't think we saw this on video. I remember watching this with my brother one night, and so I must have been maybe late-ish teens. I might have been 16, 17 or something like that. I must have been, tw- I must have been older because it came out afterwards. But I remember watching it with my brother at home, so maybe I was at university, and, and it was on TV, I think, or maybe he got the video. But anyway, it was the original The Vanishing, Spurlouche. Oh. Which uh, still kind of haunts me. What a film! Uh, and like uh, unusually, there's lots of we saw lots of things like Driller Killer and um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff on when we were watching mm. Video Nasties when they when they came out uh, on video. And I don't remember all that much about them beyond we you know they were meant to be scary. I'm very squeamish, and I suppose the thing with uh, The Vanishing is that it's not really one where people are getting stabbed and there's no blood or nothing. No. Uh, and I remember just being haunted by it because it's that. I mean, it's the, yeah. that sort of fear of losing someone. Yeah, and so the film and it's and the central guy in, it, in the in the original and there's a new version of it, a Hollywood version, which I haven't watched, but I understand they has a happy ending and yeah, uh, it's mad. <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it literally plays like the film, and then yeah. almost literally like a sort of sketch where they go. Oh, by the way, and then sort of, I think it's Sandra Bullock runs in and goes, hey, here you are, and sort of rescues everyone. You go, what the fuck happened here? Because he's so good, the guy in it. I don't, you know, I haven't seen it since. I, I was really freaked out by it. So someone, a guy's with his girlfriend, and this is from memory from probably 1990 or something like that. Uh, and they go to a service station, and she just goes missing in the service station. And yeah. then the film is him trying to work out what's happened. 
and I can't remember how much we he, he con- I can't remember how he contacts the guy or how much of the life of the guy we see. The guy contacts him. He he goes on. He like he's on the news. Yeah, and so stuff he's on and, news. Yeah. So we see he he's got a little postcard. goatee, Dutch beard, and he's got one of Dutch <laughs> he's, he's a really. He's a really nondescript kind of guy, but the, the actor playing it is is just chilling. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I don't know how much we can go into spoilers with this. I don't want to sort of spoil what happens, but he's so determined to find out. We can talk about it. And you can, if if you're listening and you haven't seen this film, then skip forward two minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's worth watching, but it but it, it just, I, I was haunt, I just found it haunting and terrifying. That idea of losing someone and not being able to find them, the idea of this very calm guy who's abducted this woman as it turns out and then trying to find out what's happened and then agree the the boyfriend agrees basically doesn't need to go along to say if i'll do exactly what i did to her and then you'll know what i did yeah it's Um, either you you don't know yeah or you might be in terrible trouble but you'll get to know it's like, how yeah. much do you really want to know? <laughs> so I guess the hope that, it, that there might be some, she might be alive, the hope yeah. that something's happened keeps him going. But also it's just, he must know that he's probably going to end up in a horrible, horrible situation. But the not knowing is too, is more yeah. than he could cope with. So it ends with him, uh, if you watch the original version, it ends with him <laughs> striking like a his lighter, he's in the dark. and He, he takes a drink, he says, drink this and I'll show you what yeah. happened to it. And he drinks oh, yeah. it and he passes out and he goes to blackness. And then... And then, then he's, he's striking his lighter and he realises he's, bur- he's in a coffin and he's buried underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is, and then that you know that the kind of psychological haunt a to die that way, b to die that way, knowing that that's how the other person you yeah. were searching for also died, uh, and uh, you know, and just this, he's he's you know, again, I'm, I'm I haven't gone back to look at this, but he's sort of just quite the the serial killer guy is is just quite a regular family man, isn't he? And the the kids playing upstairs. Yeah. It also ends with him laughing. The guy in the in the coffin laughs at the oh, end. Oh yes, like, that's right, yeah. He's like you're fucking but the guy I think about that film a lot because the, the story in the middle it changes point of view to the to the killer. And yeah. the killer is well, he's a psychopath and he doesn't have empathy, but basically he's set he's a family man. And I don't know if you remember this, but basically he's walking along one day and someone falls in the river and he he dives into the river and he rescues the guy. And everyone's like, you're a hero. And he says in his head, I've just done something that's made me a hero. I've done something that was incredibly kind. I wonder what it would like to be experienced the opposite of that. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, that's good. That's good. He's just sort of experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a proper psychological look into the mind. I mean, and I've always been a little bit fascinated by that, uh, you know, that sort of ghoulish looking at the lives of serial killers and reading books about that sort of stuff for a while. I've stopped doing it because it... It's proved becomes too upsetting when you when you start to genuinely think about what's going on. Yeah. But uh, you know, I suppose it's that. But it's that thing of the, all those true crime podcasts and people being fascinated with what drives a killer. And so it, it properly looks into that. So yeah, I think it's a shame if someone then comes and digs up yeah. the guy and rescues him. I mean, is it the, is it her in the film in the in the Hollywood one? Is it the is it the girl? Uh, no, with, it's his, it's the girlfriend, his new girlfriend, or the new oh his like, new girlfriend. Probably. And, she, and then she digs him up and then Jeff Bridges, the bad guy, comes in like, hey, don't interfere with this. And they have a fight and they kill him. Okay. It's really silly. It was one of those things where, it, you know, I think it might have come on again and I didn't want to watch it because it upset me so much. So it stuck with me for at least uh, 30 years, isn't it? Yeah, that's, how long that's ago it great, was. isn't it? Yeah. Do you like being scared? 
I don't I don't massively enjoy it. It wouldn't be what I really go for sometimes, but I think again in that at that point in my life I really didn't like it. And I think right. it would lead on to you know, sleepless nights and bad dreams and stuff, which now I don't think I find those feel I find Now you just get when you know you're doing a podcast with me. <laughs> Yeah, but I think like scary films now, I just think, what's the point? And, you know, it's not, yeah. it doesn't, they don't have that effect on me anymore that they kind of, or I haven't seen one for a long time that's made me like actually feel, oh, I'm a bit scared to walk around the house now. Right. That's good. What is the film, Richard Herring, that made you cry the most? Well, I'll give you two answers to this because okay. the one that made me cry the most is not, ri- it was to do with my psychological state at the time rather than the film. <laughs> okay. And the film that made me cry the most was Love Actually. Not in, oh, isn't this sweet? I literally started crying to the point that I thought I would never stop crying. I was a bit depressed. I can't remember the circumstances of why it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was alone. I think I was alone. Uh, I don't like the film Love Actually. I think at the time I might have liked it a bit more than I like than I do now, but I find the film Love Actually actually quite offensive in a lot of, a lot of ways uh, Lindy West has taken it down very brilliantly mm. uh, can't do a better job than that but basically it's a lot of men uh, chasing after women who don't really say anything and the, the women and who are yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the women who well, literally either they can't speak the language or they you know they can't speak uh, and the women who can speak are all you know have a terrible time I don't really understand why uh the woman who fancies the younger guy at the office, played by that American actress called Laura... Laura Linney. Laura? Yeah, Laura Linney. I don't understand why the guy... that He's about to fuck her, the young guy's in bed with her, and then she gets a phone call from the brother, and she goes, I'm going to have to take this. If you if, it, if that was me, any mother, they go, that's fine. I'll just wait, <laughs> just wait here till you finish the conversation, and then I'll fuck you. It's not, I'm going, oh, I better go. So there's no... You know, it, oh, it's going to be three hours. That's fine. We're back here. So that that one doesn't make sense. So she, there's no reason why she shouldn't get the bit of dick she wants. But I, there was just... I can't remember what point it was in the film, but I, and I don't think it was a particularly sad point, but I just something in it, I don't know whether it's me, I think, oh, I'm sitting on my own watching Love Actually, this is terrible. But I started... I don't think I've cried ever like it in my life. I cried this kind of just so depressive. And, and just I just remember the fear of not being able to, wow. that I wasn't going to stop, that I was so depressed about whatever was going on in my life and I can't even, and people who are depressed, I can't even remember what it was. Yeah, so I can't remember who it know. was or what it was that made me feel this way. Uh, and that's a very important lesson in dealing yeah. with depression. Um, you know, I'd, I'd moved, it was, it was definitely after I'd been in Shepherd's Bush, which I'd, so I'd moved into a house where I was meant to be uh, living with my girlfriend at the time who had a, had a child from a previous relationship. So I bought a kind of family house and then we'd broken up. So I think it was around that time I'd right. moved into this house and then it was, you know, and I was in a family house on my own. And I think, and this relationship had got fallen apart. And I think that just, it sort of hit me. I thought, oh, I'm whatever. But I'd have been about 45 or something. I'm probably not, no, no, I wouldn't have been that old. That I'd have been about 30, 35, 36. Um, and uh, thinking, oh, where's my life going? And so that, so I, that's the film at which I cried the most. But I don't think the film made me cry. And now, I mean, lots of films make me cry a, a bit. And I'm watching lots of kids' films. And I think the one that's made me cry the most recently is Coco. Have you seen Coco? Maron. <laughs> what a film. <laughs> it's so brilliant. Yeah. And the bit that really makes me cry, like, and I didn't even watch the whole film. The like, We see it a lot because the kids watch films a few times. 
But the bit at the end where the ground... I'm, again, that's, it does go back to what we are talking about before, but I'm sort of... A, I'm obsessed with that kind of leapfrogging of generations and the way that, you know, yeah. in that film, that grandmother's the child of the guy, of the, the, the musician who's been wronged and the family's fallen apart, but she still remembers her dad. And my grandma... And it just, it's so reminiscent of my grandma. My grandma, when she was 102... Um, and she died when she was 102, but she had dementia for like the last part of her life. There's, I've done again shows about her, and there's I think there might have been who, who's who are going to die as well, but or maybe it's what is love anyway. But uh, the last time I saw her, we went to see her, and I just it was just when I got engaged to Katie, and she I think she died even before we got married. Not that she would have come to the wedding because she was uh, too unwell, but. Um, we took, we showed her the ring and everything, and she was going, "Oh, that's nice, that's nice." And the only, she, my mum was asking what she remembered. She couldn't remember anything. We'd had this, uh, I think, the previous time we'd had this thing where my mum had been singing Claire de Luna, which was her favourite song, and trying to connect with her that way. And, and my grandma didn't know who any of us were, you know, and it was heartbreaking. But this slight, last time I saw her, she was slightly more like happy, but she didn't know who any of us were. <laughs> uh, and the only person she remembered was her dad, Ernie. Uh, and that's uh, it's not the only reason we called out my son Ernie, but it's just it, I found that just wonderful for the love of a daughter to a father that a hundred and two year old woman would remember this guy yeah. who died before I was born, I think, but certainly fifty or sixty years ago. And yeah. that's the last thing, that's the last connection to the world in her mind, which is basically what happens in. And it's the same thing where it's a piece of music connects <clears throat> this old old woman who's about to die back to her father who we've met in the afterlife <laughs> a mexican afterlife and i just, and they she sings the song along with it. and i think maybe just because it resonates so much with what i went through in one of the sort of saddest moments in my grandmother's my my experience of my grandmother of her failing to sing along with my uh mother to this song that she used to love so um i think you know it's beautiful anyway but i think yeah. it, there's a real sort of personal connection within that it's a great it's a really strong film and it's great that you can put a five-year-old in front of that and it's very heavy subject matter um but it's really delightful and celebratory do you cry in front of your children yeah i yeah i mean i don't cry a lot i think probably films are the things that most that i do get to me Sometimes they make me want to cry. I don't think I've cried in front of them with that. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think it's good to be. You know, the difference is from our generation, from my parents' generation to my generation. You know, there wasn't really. You know, my dad was not massively emotive. It, you know, they were great parents, but I think they mm. felt they had to be these authority figures. And I think, and I feel glad that our generation is allowed to be. You know, you're allowed. to try and be mates with your kids and hug them and tell them you love them. I mean, I'd tell my kids I love them much too much. See, this guy's, I wish you were dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but you know, I think it's good to be emotional and show your emotions with your kids. So, yeah, I did. And there's a lot of those kids. The Inside Out was another one that makes the, the kind of realisation that uh, sadness in, is important in yeah. Inside Out and, and, and joy realising that sadness is, needs to be uh, there. Good deal. But as well as that whole thing of the girl, you know, again, which I think this this will be a running theme, I think, through these, but that point, those points in your life where in Inside Out she's 12 or something, and you go, but it's that next step into that journey and just mm. remembering where you were at that at that point in your life as well, I think. is uh, So a lot of watching these films really get to you. That's lo- that, is, that is lovely, Richard. Thank you. And I, can't, is... I can't be emotional in real life, but I, if I'm watching cartoons, I can yeah, cry. Yeah, no, me too. Or, or love, actually. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. 
You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, what's this I hear about you going to film school? I am. I want to gain valuable skills while making films and developing my creativity. So I'm attending the New York Film Academy. I'm thinking about becoming one of them people that writes the numbers on the title board. NIFA is a very respected film school. I hear they offer a variety of options to meet your educational goals, whether you want a BFA or MFA degree or want to learn at a quicker pace with a short-term programme. That's right. They've got workshops and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, cinematography, screenwriting, producing, game design, musical theatre and more. Are you attending in New York? Might do. They have multiple campuses in some amazing locations like New York, LA, Miami, Italy, Australia and online. And you can learn more about the New York Film Academy at nyfa.edu. That's nyfa.edu. Thanks, Maureen. Uh, what is the film that generally people don't like it? It is critically not acclaimed, but you love it and you don't care. I, I'm not sure it's that critically unacclaimed. Uh, I've struggled a bit to think of this one. I mean, it's a film that I think a lot of people think is good, but it's a bit cheesy and I don't think it's cheesy. I think it's generally one of the best films, and I love it. Is Total Recall, um, and I think it look it looks a bit dated. Mm-hmm. He's he's Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. It's a bit weird, but for me, it, <laughs> it entirely works on an absolutely brilliant level. It's a fantastic film. It leaves you guessing, even after it's over, you're still wondering what 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 the truth of it is. I'll hold my hands uh, up and say I do not understand Total Recall. Do you not? I don't understand it. You don't understand it or you don't like it? You don't, you I don't know. I, I've wa- I, wa- I haven't watched it in years, but I remember watching it going, I don't have a fucking clue what's going on. Uh, I think, But I think a lot of those sort of dream-like, you know, I haven't really watched Inception, but I've seen so many parodies of Inception <laughs> right. uh, that I feel like I have seen it. But uh, I think a lot of those things don't make sense. But it does make sense, and then mm-hmm. you have to decide whether the whole thing's... The dream. There's little clues to make it that, that it's his. Do you think it is a dream? So he's gone to a place to pay for. Well, I think it's. Or it was. I a dream? think it might be. I think it might be his. That, that's his whole adventure. I think that's his whole adventure. Right. So I think it's all made up. And there's clues at the end, and the colours of the sky and stuff, and some of the pictures that flashed by. But you're still not sure. So at the end, does he go back to Sharon Stone as his wife? He hasn't killed her. Uh, yeah, I think he'll go back to oh, Sharon good. Stone as well. I, that's that's what that's I think. What I won't. <laughs> and I think the whole, but it, but either way, it doesn't matter. I just think it's a really good exploration of a sci-fi idea, and I'm very into sci-fi. And I think a lot of sci-fi is ultimately disappointing. A lot of things about this, about like alternate universes, and mm. uh, which we'll get onto, and uh, time travel, I annoy me because they don't get it right. I think this really gets the whole idea of what it is. Of, of if you could, you know, could have your dreams implanted, how would it affect you? Would it be real? Would you know? Would you start to question reality? Um, and I think he's just good. I think there's some great jokes in it. I think he's. I think Schwarzenegger's absolutely brilliant in it. I think the things that look a bit dated, the little man, the guy in the the stomach thing, is brilliant. 
<laughs> I I've seen it so many times. I should know all of what everyone is. There's a woman with three breasts in yeah. it. That's good. That's a good yeah, bit. That's really good. Bit. Um, and the taxi driver, the mechanical taxi driver, is a great thing. I remember before I saw it, somebody I I heard I heard someone talk about the taxi driver. So the first time I saw it, I knew that there was a twist with the taxi driver, which someone else will now know um, if they've not seen it before. But yeah, I think again, I think I tried to watch the remake and I didn't. It didn't have. It, it's a there's a campness to it, I suppose, and there's yeah. a pantomime element to it but yeah. it's genuinely one of i haven't seen it recently enough i was going to do i bought it about three or four years ago again on dvd because i was planning to do a podcast where i did director's commentaries of films that i That's hadn't great. made you know that i just liked or didn't like and so i was going to do a direct commentary of total recall because i was really into it at the time but i can't remember what things i love about consider this a divorce that's a good joke yeah. that's a good joke good joke you know there's just there's lots of just nice neat little twists in it and uh i like arnold schwarzenegger talking to himself from the you know as the other guy saying take this thing it's it's, it's nice i think arnold schwarzenegger is really good and i don't think he's very good in much I, don't, I think he's good in the terminator uh the, the original one and i think he's quite bad in most things but for some reason it it works his level of acting works and i believe it <laughs> i believe right it level. and the eyes the eyes coming out at the end that's brilliant and just looking completely fake yeah i love the eyes coming out I mean, it's, I'd like the fact. I just think the, the special effects are were are presumably pretty impressive at the time. They're not impressive now, but also they've gone to some effort to make those. That's the thing. It's like you know, it's That's not. It's not just CGI. They've worked hard to make yeah. it look that bad. They've done Even plasticine boobs yeah. and plasticine eyes. Yeah, I love it. So I do. I, I do. It. I love the film. I do enjoy it. That's good. Uh, what is on the other end of the scale? Yeah, a film that you used to love. But you've watched recently and you've gone, oh, no, I don't like this anymore. Well, this is, and I'm really surprised at this, and I didn't watch it all the way through, but I had to stop watching it. And this used to be a film I watched a lot, and I loved It's 12 Monkeys, and I had to stop watching it. Really? Yeah, and the reason I really had to say, I I found it very slow to start with. I was watching, it was on catch-up, and I thought, oh, that'll be great, let's watch that. I love that, I haven't seen it for ages. I found it a bit slow to get going, and I found Brad Pitt unwatchably bad. Really? I found him, and I can't believe I ever watched it and didn't find him unwatchably bad, but it's such a mannered, fucking awful acting job of a crazy person. Monkey. Yeah, but it's all the eyes, and I just absolutely had to turn off at that point, and I just didn't think, even without that, because he's not sort of central to the enjoyment of it, it's much more of a Bruce Willis film, but... um, it didn't. It wasn't as good as I remembered up to that point. And then the minute I'd watched f- four or five minutes of him, I thought I can't. I absolutely cannot stand to watch the rest of this film. And I, and I, yeah, and it didn't. You know, it didn't. It hadn't fitted together in the way I remembered it. It wasn't as exciting as I remembered it being. It wasn't as kind of maybe maybe I ducked out at the wrong time. Maybe it, maybe it gets better. But um, shame. I, I was disappointed in it. And that's the that and that is because it's a recent one, and that's the time it's happened recently. That's the only one I could think of that's really kind of gone. Oh, because I I had it on, I think I even got a I had it on video. I had it. I bought the special edition video, probably with two. My memory is it's quite a big box. I think there was two videos in there. The Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, no, there was a pre or a present of some kind. Yeah. So I think I was in. I was in. in, And I loved uh, Terry Gilliam's. It is Terry Gilliam, isn't it? I would love his. I love like a lot of his stuff and I still think I like Brazil I didn't re-watch it when I interviewed Palin I meant to watch rewatch it but yeah it just didn't didn't quite hit in the same way even though it's almost uh maybe it was it's 
almost topical now, isn't it? I used to love Survivors, which is before your time, but it's about uh, it's a TV show. And all I, and I watched it when I was much too young. And all I remember is the opening titles, which was about a man in China dropping a virus and then getting off a plane and then falling out dead and then everyone dying of a virus <gasps> and a few people surviving. Uh, so that that's come up a bit again recently. But it, wow. it, Twelve Monkeys had that element too. Didn't it? it was this oh, yeah. deliberate attempt to wipe out humanity, wasn't it? Uh, have you seen La Jette, the original? No. Short. You would. I mean, you'd eat that up. Okay. Right up your street with your time okay. travels and your multiples. <laughs> love it and it's 22 minutes oh I'll, I'll look at it after this i'll check it out um, after this. what is the film that means the most to you not necessarily the film itself is any good but because of the yeah. experience you had around seeing it that will always make it special to you well i think that i have to say this but i think this was also the thing the thing that um did come to mind first the first date to a cinema that i went with, with my wife and it was sort of well, I'll get to that. It was it was an important day anyway. We went to see Dan in real life, the uh, Steve uh, Carell. Steve Carell. Phil, yeah, and I sort of did, and I think I remember umming and ahhing over what we we're going to see, and I think we both liked The Office, the American Office, and we thought we'd give this a crack. Uh, it's not a good, very good film, and it's it's, it's just, I can't remember. I, I honestly did not see very much of it though. <laughs> so ah. But uh, but it was during this film. We weren't. My wife uh, had been in a relationship with someone else, and um, there wasn't exactly overlap. But we'd we'd started, um, and you know, we we would. I'd been seeing her, but nothing had happened. Uh, and uh, she'd moved to London away from uh, her boyfriend, and we'd been sort of we'd been on a few sort of dates, and it was very exciting. And something sort of, I knew something very important was happening. And it was during this film that she sort of leant over to me and said, "Oh, we, you know, I've officially." broken up with uh, my boyfriend you know we've we've, we've broken up with each other and then we Did just you, go, you know it was a shut up, the yeah, shut up. <laughs> steve carell's doing something <laughs> meaningful um and uh and you know we and we sort of snogged all the way through the film i think basically as uh, you know and i was 40 Richard years Herring, old disgusting. we were in the we were in the back row so i don't remember much about the film i remember that i wasn't disappointed to miss the film Rich. I don't know if that says how much I wanted to kiss my wife and uh, my now wife, or how much I uh, I didn't like the film. But I, I, the film wasn't all that good. I got the sound. I think Stuart gave me the soundtrack uh, uh, to Dan in Real Life as uh, just to, he, he gives away stuff that he gets every Christmas. Uh, I don't think he knew it was significant, but I think I gave, oh, really? I gave Katie the soundtrack to Dan in Real Life. But it wouldn't not that it would mean anything because I don't think either of us really enjoyed the film. What but cinema it was, that, was it in? It was in, uh, you know, the one on um, uh, Piccadilly. No, it was in Piccadilly Circus. You know, the, the big uh, on the omni, the big multiplex. It's, you go up uh, escalators to get to. I remember there was oh, a the woman. Uh, yeah, sort of behind the in the yeah the one in the yeah. Chocadero. Uh, I remember we were queuing and they weren't letting us go upstairs. And then we could, we got into some altercation. I think we were canoodling a little bit. <laughs> And the woman, you know, started shouting. The woman in charge of the rope started shouting at us for getting in the way or something. Mm. And I thought that's a bit, bit much. You know, there must be some courting couples coming to your cinema. It should be a bit nicer. Uh, so yeah, it was in one of those screens upstairs, up the two escalators. So your back uh, row. We got in the back row. Other people next to you? No, of course not. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, you know, it wasn't a popular film. It wasn't a popular. We made the wrong choice in terms of films. So but you know, goes... if you're talking about. If you're talking about an important thing happening in the cinema, it was, you know, I, I think I it. knew, I knew it was coming, 
that we were that I you know the minute I uh, not the minute I well actually the first time I met her I kind of felt something with her we didn't see each other again for a, a few months um, and then the, the the second time I met her properly I kind of was uh, head over heels straight away I just something overcame me that I couldn't really explain and so then we a few few months after that we sort of I we sort of met up a couple of times but I kind of knew something was going on and I for, for, in, for in my mind I was thinking this is the woman I'm going to marry and have kids with um and uh and so it was but but unusually for me it'd been a very slow burning thing and that we hadn't uh you know we hadn't I hadn't even a, uh considered the idea of trying to ask her to stay the night with me and we and she didn't stay the night with me that night either and um so it was quite a, a, a slow and innocent build up to it so it was a very it was a you know it was a lovely moment to have that moment of um this is going to be happening now right richard it's a beautiful answer yeah i do have some questions yeah go ahead uh, as a person who uh you know thinks the cinema is sacred <laughs> and would yeah. have been absolutely horrified <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful answer, but my question is... So it's two questions. One is, she leans over mid-film, 10 minutes into it, how far is the yeah. film? Can't have been that much long into the film, because we didn't see too much, but she... Right, so yeah, you haven't she... even got to the inciting incident <laughs> act one. She leans across Is there goes, one? I don't know what happens in Dan in real life. <laughs> she but, goes, uh... I've broken up with my boyfriend, you turn around, you start kissing. Yeah. Now, I guess my question <laughs> is, if the film had been better... <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's that is a good question. If the film were say enduring love, which has a yeah. hell of an opening sequence, <laughs> like fucking, like compelling, exciting, and yeah. she leans over and goes, "I'm going to have a boyfriend." Would you have gone? <laughs> we'll talk about it afterwards. <laughs> and you wouldn't be here now. I think. Um, I think we'd still be here. I think she might not have lent over. If it had been a good film, she might not have lent over and told me. I think we. But I think we were both quite bored by the film. Right. So it wasn't just we were both racing to, you know, we were having a date and we thought this is a date. Let's go and see a film that we're going to enjoy. We've seen many more films. We've enjoyed many more films together. We've uh, Some have been bad, some have been good. I think it was one of the worst films we've been to. I mean, uh, lo- and we've been, some, we've been to some bad ones. So I, it's, it's very hard to know. Uh, I, th- I think the moment would have come maybe after the film. Which is the film we most relate to? This is the recent film that I've most related to. I kind of struggled a bit to think of this, and it's a sort of slightly unusual... It's a bit of a left-field choice, but we saw um, Booksmart uh, about about two or three months ago. And it's an amazing film. It's really funny. It's really good. I don't know why we'd left it so long to see that, um, but I was glad we did see it. I just think it's about... I mean, I think it's such a long film anyway, but it is about teenage girls... Yeah, uh, but uh, but I was like them, the sort of smart, boring, virgin <laughs> kid at school, and so I kind of really, and I don't think I ever even like at school probably did. I mean, I, I maybe wasn't quite as uh, st- uh, as well behaved as they they seem to have been, but and I, but I also don't think I had like a night where I went quite as nuts as they go in that film, or as quite as out character as they go in that film. But I think it just really spoke to me about that. It was a very important point in my life, I think, that leaving school and that next step onwards and also being sort of still basically a kid because I'd worked, I'd worked much too hard at school to get to university <laughs> and not really had much fun and not been able to let go 
uh, and it took me a long time. I mean, I'm still, I, I still struggle with it. I think throughout my adult life, I've done better at messing around and letting yeah. myself go and behaving badly. But I was, you know, and at university, I kind of, I, I sort of stopped working and just got on with having doing fun stuff. But I think just, I think that the poignancy of that time, that sort of leaving all those friends behind that you've made at school. I was really sad to leave school. And yeah. a lot of people are like really happy to leave school. I remember my last day of school and thinking, oh, God, you know, this, everything changes. And, mm. you know, I've, I'm going to really miss this. And I kind of, in a part of me, wants to stay. And I part of me still misses the regimented nature of school. I like, you know, I, I would, I kind of, for a long time when I was right, struggling to write on my own, I thought it'd be nice if just all the comedians got together in a, yeah, it would be nice. In a school and we had lessons. <laughs> just we all sat in a room and wrote together and then there was playtime and then we all had lunch together and then there were some after school activities. I would love that. And everything's just laid on for you know, <laughs> the wonder of all that and all and then you have to become a grown up and work out and do that stuff yourself. And so right. you know, once I got to once I got to university I did kind of let let loose a bit more. Though I was never into taking drugs and all that sort of stuff, which they do a bit in the film. Can we start a comedian school? I'd love that. I'd yeah, well, I did think it would have been good. And I think, you know, that what the good thing about the lockdown has been the days that I'm, I take a day where I'm working and then I do a day where I look after the kids and vice versa with my wife. Mm-hmm. And the day when you're working, you get to, we have an hour in the middle whether we take over from the other one just to give them a rest because it's quite a long day. Yeah. And you get basically an hour at lunchtime to go and play with the kids. And you go, this is fucking awesome. Is they actually, it's weird, that middle hour is the best hour of the day, whichever one it is you get you go from working to playing with the kids it's brilliant you go from playing with the kids to being on your own and that's brilliant and so that that hour between 12 30 and 1 30 is now my favorite part of the day but i went outside in the sunshine and played with my kids in the garden and and uh thought you know we should that this should be instituted to every working day everyone should go outside there was a viz character called playtime fontaine i think it was called something like that (laughs) right who was a bank manager and they'd go out uh, the bell would ring and they'd all go all the bank men managers would go and play in the you know and and so on you can fill in the blanks but um i think it's actually would be quite a nice thing to institute out of all the coronavirus things Mm. i think that might be the thing that should stick is that we should have a playtime for an hour a day for, for lunchtime so i think that that's where i just identify not particularly with either of them particularly of the individually i think mm. just the whole feeling there's a photo of me when i had a year a gap year between a school and university and there's a photo of i was going off to camp america and my mum and dad took me to bristol airport to fly to for me to fly to america and there's just a photo of me and my mum like looking over the, the parapet onto the you know to the airfield and uh, I'm looking scared and my mum's looking worried and it's sort of just complete in a photo just completely oh, sums up God. you know I'm sort of looking we're both looking to the future and <laughs> and you know I think again and then having kids you're sort of also imagining mm. that time for you know so the time you've got to let go of them and they've got to go off and I sort of terrifies because I think about you know I had a year off and went hitchhiking when I was 18 and I had knew nothing and got into cars with God. some very strange people and you know we so, you the idea of sending that child out and my and how my parents allowed me to do it, I don't know. But you sort of just got to let go, I suppose. You go, well, off you go. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, but just, you know, it's sort of terrifying. And it's that, it's that, I suppose that film really highlights that, is that, that moment between, or that time between childhood and adulthood where you're still yeah. ridiculously naive but think you're an adult and think... But you're still ter- it's the terror as well, the terror of what's 
what's to come and not knowing what's to come. So I think it, it just beautifully summed that up. So it really kind of connected with me that film out of all the films I've seen recently. And I have seen. I don't. We don't watch a lot of highbrow stuff now. And the book smart's probably about as, as highbrow as we get. Uh, yeah, right. But. Uh, it's really highbrow. I mean, it's I mean, it's a really good film, and it's but but also I like to be entertained. And I like to have fun now, and I don't, you know, in my twenties I would go and watch more experimental stuff that I would, couldn't be asked to start watching now. But and also your, you know, your ability to concentrate is both by age and having young kids is yeah, out the fucking sorry. window anyway. So it was great to see, uh, you know, a non-superhero, non-kind of bawdy comedy, yeah. broad comedy that was genuinely funny and inventive. I think the only bit I didn't really like was when they did they become claymation or something, didn't they? I didn't yeah. I thought that kind of didn't really like that bit. But apart from that, the rest of it was uh top notch. And it's Olivia Wilde, isn't it, who is one yeah. of the sexiest women in the absolute world, just beautiful and super intelligent, which is awesome. Yeah, she's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. You like a regimented life like school. <laughs> Have you ever thought of an office job? Yeah. You <laughs> you'd fucking love it. There's set hours. Lunch breaks. <laughs> I would like to do what I do, but but be regimented. I just like to school. It's a I had it was it school for clowns or something like there's something I had a name for it at the time. I I did write a blog about it and did sort of think it'd be great, you know, just to buy a building, wouldn't it? And uh, mm. and. Just to have somewhere to go and write, though, you know, even if you all just had your own office in yeah, there. Yeah, hang out. It would be really just nice. Because so, I just, I think, like, probably around the time of Love Actually, where I was weeping watching Love Actually, you know, that I was just lonely, you know. I was finding it very difficult to... I think through a lot of my 20s and 30s, I was really lonely. I would find it struggle to ring people up and say, do you want to go and do stuff, and worry that I'd be imposing on them if I did. So just the idea where you can be with a group of people and be and feel confident that they sort of want to be with you. Um, which you'd get at school, you know, you know yeah. who you can hang around with and who you can't, and, and at university as well. I think it's it is that it's that difficulty. That's probably why I've chosen Booksmart, isn't it? Because of that. <laughs> That's really nice. Um, <laughs> all right, here we are. I think this is the part everyone's been waiting for. Richard yeah. Herring, what is the sexiest film you've ever seen? Well, I think just in terms of it being the first sexy film I saw, and it being quite. This was I saw a film called The Other Cinderella. Go on. Which uh, is a it's a soft porn film. It was a double okay. bill back in the. I was fourteen years old. Yeah. Me and my fourteen real friends. This was an X film. It was a double bill with Kentucky Fried Movie, which is the precursor to Airplane. And actually, yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty good film. There's some good bits that are better than others in it, but it's a bawdy sketch sketch uh, movie. Sketch isn't it? movie. Uh, but it, I think we really went to see the other Cinderella, which was a soft porn version of the Cinderella story. <laughs> And uh, the part of the reason I'm telling is it's a good story, but also I think it was um, it was me and four or five of my mates from school. Uh, we were all 14 and we all looked 14. The oldest one of some might have been 15, but he looked the youngest. And we actually went into this. We went into the cinema in the order we thought we would get in. Right, so it wasn't like let's put the youngest looking one in first. So I think I was first. They decided I would have the best chance of getting in. Right. So uh, I got and I got in. So once I got in, everyone was quite happy. And then the only person that was questioned was my friend Phil Fry, who was the oldest by you know nearly a year over some of us. Uh, but then we all just said, "Yeah, no, he is. No, he is. He's eighteen. He's 18. And so they obviously didn't give a fuck. And they let us. The Wells owed in. It's not there anymore. Uh, but this is like... Because they were shut down because of this incident. They might have been of this, but it was, I'm sure, I mean, it's. we'll talk about Life of Brian in a second, but I'm yeah. sure it's like the Life of Brian sketch where everyone in that cinema was 14 <laughs> pretending to be 18. 
uh, or just disgusting old men who were probably. Uh, and so uh, it was, you know, and so it was the first and there were no videos at this point. We did later start to see stuff like this on video and in a bit more private. But I just remembered watching this miraculous film where it was very tame women kissing each other and, you know, and it was a comedy as well. So it was like there was, a, there was a bit where a, there was a bit where the, the guy made two women to two sisters kiss each other or he was going to take their father away or something and he was peeling an apple at the same time and then he cut off his thumb because it got so exciting seeing them these two women kissing you know so it wasn't really sexy right but it was very sexy because we were 14 and we'd never seen anything like it and basically we just all sat there with huge erections or, or, or tiny erections uh and but my favorite bit of it was there was uh just a woman took her top off and just a voice and this is wells in somerset a voice from the darkness shouted out Pert nipples, and um, so I can still say that to my friends, and we can still we know exactly where we were, and whether that was another fourteen year old or whether, but we just we we would say pert nipples to each other for a long time. <laughs> so I think again, it's one of those it's one of those uh, watershed moments, isn't it? Where you you uh, we were boys, we went in boys, we came out men, and one of our parents came and picked us up, so we must have had some lie in force. I think, yeah, I'm you pretty sure. I don't think it was a, a matinee. Maybe, you, maybe know. you said it was Cinderella. We went to see Cinderella. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have been clever enough to say we weren't going to the cinema. We'll, we'll talk about but the same thing happened with Life of Brian, which we'll, we'll talk about later. But that's the okay. my parents didn't want me to go and see Life of Brian, and we we had to oh. sneak our way out to see Life of Brian. But someone came and picked us up after seeing Life of Brian in the Wells Odeon. So what exactly did you say? I can't remember. I can't remember how we like. You know, I just wonder whether you know, as a parent, you realise you say a lot of stuff that you're meant to say and. And right. you let some things go, and I wonder whether my parents yeah. they've all sort of say now they had no idea we were watching you know eighteen x films on video and stuff like that, um but I just wonder whether you go, oh, they're out of the house, thank God, you know it doesn't matter what they're doing. they're in a <laughs> cinema it's safe it doesn't matter. Do it, so because my parents were strict they was you know they 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 wouldn't they would absolutely at fourteen they would have been horrified i think to think I was you know and it was it was very tame, and we did watch it on video a few years later and it seemed it seemed pathetic but at the time i think i might have even tried to find like a you know a download of it on tv uh, on the internet just to see i don't think i managed to do that though but just to see what it was like but i had my friend paul putnam bought me having discussed this he wasn't there because i didn't meet him for many years later oh, oh no i haven't got a, it's around here somewhere but i've got the i've got the poster of kentucky fried movie and the other cinderella oh no it was that it was one of those moments it was a book smart moment I believe it happened. <laughs> Richard Herring. Yeah. There's a subcategory to this question. Yeah. Troubling boners, worrying wide-ons. What film did you find arousing that you thought perhaps you shouldn't? Well, I mean, I think this is inappropriate for a lot of reasons, uh, mm. mainly because I was about four years old when I saw this film. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and it's a very troubling film. Do you know the Louis Buñuel film... Unshan Andalus. Uh, it's uh, and, it, and it came up a couple like it was, when I was like I maybe was at school, so I might have been five or six. But it came up a couple of times on something like Open University. And you know when you're off six uh, from school, right, yeah. and Open University was on all day, and they'd show all sorts of stuff. And they showed clips from this film, and they showed the clip of the guy. And I have watched it since, but it's you know it's a very it's a you know it's literally surreal. Yeah. Uh, it's a scary man, man chasing a woman around a house. And my memory of it, which is slightly out of whack, I think, is 
he, I can't remember what order it happens in actually now, but he's basically got ants running all over his hands. He's got a hole, I think, in his hand where the ants are coming out and he's mm-hmm. chasing this pretty woman around and then he corners her and uh, he starts fondling her breast through her clothing. Yeah. And then in his, we see his imagination or we, we the clothing disappears and he's fondling her breast with his ant whole hands. <laughs> um uh, and you see her breast and you see it being fondled. And so I saw this as a, you know, I, as certainly a much, a very minor, as of about five, six, seven years old. And I saw it a couple of times. So it came back to me and, uh, you know, and it was the sexiest thing I'd ever seen because I mm. was a child and never seen... Never seen an I knew ant. I'd <laughs> never seen an ant before. So I knew it was very... I, I was very excited by the idea. But I think the associations that that might have created in my mind a of a man behaving inappropriately that's not good enough even if he isn't covered in ants shouldn't be chasing women around fondling their bosoms um but you know i'd seen a bosom and i was very excited about that and i you know i, I did talk i did i did do a routine about this uh, um in, in one of my shows saying you know it's had no effect on me i mean you know i do get an, an immediately come in my pants if i see an, an ant or a woman covered in ants or uh, if anyone talks about ants in their pants uh but there was some there was there was a joke about it but also you know it yeah. was this it's a very inappropriate thing for a child to see but i was very interested in sex from a very early age and kind of you know had little mini crushes on people and was you know knew that something was going on but didn't know what it was so to see something like that and then think yeah. imagine that that is what sex Where- is in any way about is not very helpful is it how old were you when you were interested in sex from a very young age? I think age? I was from right right from the beginning. I remember saw, I saw an open university program when I was like maybe four, mm. uh, where which was all about sperm, you know, going into the, you know, under a microscope, sperm yeah. going into the egg, and me tell, telling my mum all about how babies were made and saying, you know, the tad these tadpoles come in and they go. So I'd seen this program that I shouldn't have seen. <laughs> that was, I feel like my parents, were, um, they're not coming out of this very well. I think they were quite strict, but for some reason I got unfettered access to, to, to X-rated television at home. Um, so I kind of was fascinated by it by, without knowing what it, what it was. you know. And any, I think that's part of why, as a comedian, no, I was interested in, as my kids are now and all kids are, I presume, but I was doubly fascinated by all poo and wee and all the things that you weren't allowed to talk about yeah. and why certain things were rude and why other things weren't rude and like my daughter i loved um just repeat i would say repeat say poo poo wee wee bottom whereas she's uh very much into saying you know i'll pit i'll shit up i'll poo on your face and stuff like that it's the stuff she, she's taken a whole she's, nother level she's made it more sophisticated yeah yeah she's absolutely very you know she takes it i'll fart in your face i'll put she's all over the place um and uh but you know i think it's that knowing that there's some there's a barrier there that you're not allowed to mm. you're not supposed to know what's beyond the other side but you're obviously absolutely it just makes what's on the other side all the more fascinating and uh you know i was always i mean just interested in it i think interested in what that was about and you know and i knew that i was interested you know seeing that seeing that film i knew that i shouldn't be seeing it but i was also no, there's no reason why a five-year-old should particularly be excited about seeing a woman's breasts, really. But I knew that what I was seeing was something titillating in every sense, and uh, and wrong and uh, yeah. exciting. And so, you know, it really stuck with me. It's like I'd had a little glimpse into this adult world, and then you think yeah. it's actually much. I mean, not now if you're with the internet, but <laughs> the 1970s, you couldn't really have seen anything much more weird and uh, inappropriate yeah. than that if you if you end up thinking that's anything to do with what 
sex is really about, then that's uh, that's not good, is it? That's you see it twice. And there's all the eyeball being cut open in that film. I think that was in the the thing as well. So it's, it was a very it's a very a graphic, very sexy and, film. Very sexy, but inappropriate to find it sexy as a five year old. Yeah, I would say. For sure. So I think that I think that's that's my worst one. I think that fully qualifies. Um, <laughs> Richard Herring, objectively, yeah. yeah. What is the greatest film of all time? I think it, it's difficult, and I it's going to be a comedy because I love comedies, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think it's there's a toss up, but I think it is. This is Spinal Tap. Correct. And I'm sure lots of people have said this, but it's just an absolutely perfect piece of comedy. Just and I really watchable to the like hundredth degree so you can watch this film throughout your life and get aids that see stuff somehow that you haven't seen before i mean i must have watched it 20 times at least and probably more than that and uh we used to watch it when we were on tour and it's very accurate about what being on tour is like uh and it's just you know and for an american film i think as well it's just all the accent the english accents are phenomenal all this again. There's it's almost perfect, and the, the you can pick up a couple of bits and go. Oh, you know, I think like when he gets trapped in the pod, yeah. uh, it's too it's too comic for the film. I think there's the little bits like that that maybe Stonehenge is a bit too comic, uh, but it's all really good, and it's all those little inflections, and you realise. I mean, I sometimes watch early Fist of Fun and you'll see a sketch and go, oh god, that's just the entire inflections of this goes up to eleven. Just with different words in it, you know. It's, so you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're just. It was so influential, and I think like not without a lot of people realizing. And I think it probably, I don't see. I don't think it even it's, the stuff we, we did with Armando day to day and on the hour and stuff was very much of the same ilk. And I don't think Armando had even seen it, but I think it, at the time. But I think it, it sort of pervades through in the in the sense that we that was all improvised stuff around some ideas. And they're so they're so on top of the game. But also, you listen to the music in that film, and it fucking stands up. You just think if I'd written yeah. that song, um, I think I, would, I tweeted Michael McKean. I think, or maybe I must have tweeted added him in. Or, and I think I can't come. I think was it big? Might just been Big Bottom. I was just saying this is just such a brilliant comedy song. And then he responded, "Oh, thanks very much." You know, yeah. he, he came back to me about it. But it, you know, you just listen. The lyrics are great, but musically they really yeah, were they're great musicians. Proper, proper songs. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's just this perfect film. that I think the first time I saw it, I'm not that into music, and uh, I think even the first time I saw it, I wasn't entirely un- understanding if it was real or pretend. or mm. uh, and, and so it's one of those films I think I didn't really like the first time I saw it, but that's nearly true of every comedy I like, that the first glimpse of it, you go, I've no idea what this is. This is weird. I don't like it. And then you get into it, and it's so much to get into. And there's like, you can get the the bonus extras with all the you know they, yeah, they overshot they so much yeah. and it's so good it's all so good um i've had harry shearer, shearer on rahel Stepper, um yes. and he's he's incredible and i don't and i don't really i like all the other ones they did but mm. i don't think any of them get anywhere near being as good as it as that is i think that is correct uh and thank you for not saying the godfather what is the <laughs> film that you can or have watched the most over and over again. I've watched Die Hard pretty regularly and I always still like it. So Groundhog Day is close, but I'm start, it's starting to slightly pull for me, Groundhog Day. Yeah. Just slightly. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant film, but I'm not enjoying it as much, whereas Die Hard, I enjoy it exactly the same amount, if not more, every single time. <laughs> That's so nice. That's so nice for Die Hard. 
um, and you, you still catch new things. I can't remember quite what I, there was. It's something in the scene where Alan Rickman and uh, uh, Bruce Willis are together, and you know he's che- he says his name's William such and such, and he's checking. There was a little bit in there. What was it? There was there was something I can't even remember what it was, but there was something I noticed in that scene that I'd never noticed before. There was some lo- lovely little bits of things in there. There's some great. It's good acting. Bruce Willis is fucking sharp in it. There's really good lines in it. Really funny. And it's properly good action film, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I can I can watch that endlessly. Great escapers, I can also watch endlessly. Uh, but uh, Die Hard's the best. Okay, so. Richard Herring, what is yeah. the worst film you've ever seen? Very hard to choose. Um, <laughs> I, I watch a lot of Adam Sandler films that I loathe, uh, but almost like as a result of... I go on yeah. about The Cobbler a lot in my podcast. I was very tempted yes. to choose The Cobbler. Jack and Jill is probably the worst Adam Sandler film. And there's there's a lot to choose from. I, my, I think my worst ever film is Sliding Doors, which will take us back to alternate universes. Talk to me, Richard. <laughs> I mean, there's I, I, this is the film that I wanted to do the director's commentary about because I think there's so much to say about Sliding Doors that is yeah. awful. It completely misunderstands what would happen in in the situation, which is my main problem with it. So, like, yeah. the minute you change anything, everything changes. But it does that thing that lots of alternate universe things do of basically everything else moving as it would have done. Even though in the train, in one or when it's right at the beginning, on the train, one time she meets John Howard, Jan Hannah's on the train, yeah. and one time he isn't. And the time he isn't, that she is on the train, he still turns up at the bar at the same time as he did in the other version. His life's already, his life has definitely changed. She's been on the train. His life yeah. is completely different. So it just, even if it's two minutes later, he turns up or something would, everything knocks on. It shouldn't be called Sliding Doors, first of all. It should be called Avoiding a Girl with a Doll. Because <laughs> that is the moment that changes everything. Yeah. I think the girl drops the doll in one version mm. and doesn't in the other. Or she, it's a little girl gets in Gwyneth Paltrow's way in one version and doesn't in the other version. Yeah. And that's the moment. It isn't the doors, it's the doll. So it's badly... <laughs> badly, badly titled. But what, So hang on, what do you want to call it? Avoiding a doll, a drop doll? Yeah, well, I'd have, to, I'd have to go back and double-check what it is exactly, but I think basically... I it's... wonder if that would have taken off as a catchphrase, people yeah. saying, you know, oh, you had your avoiding a drop doll moment. Yeah. <laughs> it would have done. In that, the universe where it had been correctly named, it might have, might have done. I mean, yeah. there's so much. There's so much in it that I just loathe... Uh, I talked to Michael Palin about this because I asked, there's a Spanish Inquisition sketch in it and he didn't get paid for it, even though he wrote the Spanish Inquisition sketch. But there's no reality in the in any, even if the universe is infinite and every reality exists, there is no reality in which a man can quote a Monty Python sketch quite badly and get to fuck Gwyneth Paltrow. That, is, that will never happen, even in a universe of infinite possibilities. So believe me, I know. Um, not necessarily with Gwyneth Paltrow, but I know. Uh, and it's, yeah, no, it's just that, it's the thing where they're all going about Grolsch. They go, do you want a Grolsch? I don't know if they've been sponsored by Grolsch or whether they just think they're being called for saying Grolsch, but it absolutely dates the film 100% precisely. The comedy in it is awful. The comedy <laughs> make last, everything is awful. Uh, and, I, and, and it annoys me that, they, well, in one reality she dies, right? And the, mm. the other reality, but it basically all sort of sorts itself out or something. Um, and, uh, and then he, st- but then she goes, there's that bit of memory at the end when she goes, well, you know what the Monty Python boys say, whatever it is. And she goes, 
And you go, no, don't do that. You weren't in that reality. Fuck off. That does, you can't have a bit from yeah. the other reality. That kind of seeped across into consciousness. Um, my daughter was born and my son was born in the hospital where those the sliding doors lifts are. Where they drop. West, Westminster, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. Lifts, That's where, right. they, where he gets in at the end. Um, it's just a terrible, terrible film. And, and I think and there's a lot of terrible films that are bad mm. and don't do very well. And this is the film that is the worst that has done the best, I would say. And is considered by many people still to be good, and still gets shown on TV. I think yeah. it's. I think the comedy is bad. The the understanding of the premise of alternate universes is terrible, and uh, you know it's this it's idea that oh magically those two would have got together. No, like you say, if one thing changed in that cinema, if we'd been to see a different film, would me, me and my wife be together? Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, you know, it could be uh, seeing Dan in real life. <laughs> moment that's what it yeah it's a real seeing dan in real life isn't it versus yeah the good film that was on that year i think be it's the best the, the worst execution of the best premise film maybe but you see i don't like see i'm very critical i don't like the truman show because i think they make so many errors with what is that the premise that everyone has thought about and you'd like to do to the extent that the Truman Show, that I think is close to Sliding Doors, in that that was more successful than Sliding Doors, and I think it, the execution of it is bad. In like, there's that bit in the Truman Show where he's going, "Hey, stop! Watch this!" And look, the same people are going by behind us at the time. It's not a fucking cartoon. Like, if they, if he started noticing that, the producers go, "Oh, guys, uh, in fact, there's no. I don't know why we told you to go on a loop. Don't go on a loop. Just live your life like you're living your life." Someone would get tell those actors to stop going in a loop. But why are they fucking going in a loop? That's not how it would work, is it? Mm. Everyone would just carry on living their lives. And so, you know, it, it, I think it's poorly conceived, that one. But, slight, you know, it's a better film, but probably overall than Sliding Doors. So Sliding Doors is the worst film. Um, what film? You're in comedy, Richard. You're very successful yes. at it. What's the film that made you laugh the most? Well, this is another contender for the best film of all time. But I think the film that has consistently made me laugh the most... Uh, I Spinal Tap would obviously be up there as well. Uh, is Life of Brian? We're finally which, at Life um, of Brian. Yes, We've which it I a think lot. is. I mean, is but again, it's such an important uh, uh, film for me in that I wasn't allowed to see. I got with Monty Python. I didn't. I missed all the TV version of it, um, and so the films are really important. I got like the our albums. I listened to um, you know, LPs, mm. uh, and I'd got the Monty Python, the Life of Brian LP. So I kind of was aware, and the book, and I've got all that sort of stuff, but my mum and dad wouldn't let me go and see it because it was an AA or whatever it was at the time, so you had to be over 14 or 15, and I was probably 13 or 14, so it was, I was close. But because of that, they wouldn't let me go. My parents were religious, obviously, so I think it was slightly to do with that as well. So A, we had to go and sneak our way in to see it, which made it a very important film in my life, but I think it's just it's them at their absolute height, and when I had Pipe Palin on... I kind of realised that you, when you look at him in that film, mm. you almost forget it's the same guy. The, the characterization is so good that you go, oh, fuck, the ex-leper's the same guy as the prisoner guy, same with the, the nicest, wettest as the guy, you know, that crucifixion, one cross on the left. All these different characters he's playing in it, and you sort of buy into the reality so much. You obviously know it's him, but you yeah, so forget, it's, forget it's him. So he is phenomenal in it, but they're all absolutely at the top of the game. Uh, Chapman sort of is sober and really firing on all cylinders. John Cleese, thank God, didn't play Brian, which he wanted to do, I think, originally, but he's so good in all those characters. And, yeah, I mean, just every single one of those sketches is more than uh, Holy Grail, where there's a few of those sketches that you take out as a sketch and go, that's a brilliant sketch. But it also works as a 
as a whole as well. So all of these yeah. incidents come together. But the, and it's so smart. And, you know, it comes from a time when you're allowed to be that clever in comedy and not someone going, oh, do you, do you think people understand about yeah. conjugating Latin verbs? It doesn't matter <laughs> if you understand any of that stuff. You know, you know why that that's fun. Those scenes are funny, whether you know about it or not. And, uh, you know, I think it just, it was so groundbreaking. And it's so important to me, I think, to see, com- you know, a subject that I was would have been scared about joking about. Um, yeah. Because I was still, I was not religious anymore, but I was still, you know, for a long time, um, that still hung over me. That that feeling, of, even when I did Christ on a bike, I remember there was a part of me thinking, "Oh God, you know, this is, should I be doing this? You know, with, what's the repercussions of this on my yeah. soul? Really, if I'm wrong." Um, so it just, I think, and, and it's just, it's just funny, you know. It's just, it's a, it's a, and start to finish, yeah. funny all the way, you know. Always look on the bright side of life is their best song in that in terms of just singability it's such a profound ending i genuinely yeah, it's think brilliant. it's like one of the great endings like yeah and ending. i don't you know holy grail's a bit of a cop-out ending and i didn't really like yeah. meaning of life in the same to any there's some good bits in meaning of life but it doesn't kind of gel in the same way so i think they just and a lot of the tv show monty python isn't great you know a lot of mm. it, it's very experimental and it doesn't stand up but life of brian you know apart from i, I would guess that that there would be some accusations of transphobia and stuff now about it, but apart from that, it kind of and even that, I think it, it would you'd have to struggle a bit to really seriously think of it in that way. Uh, but it stands up, you know. It stands, and there's yeah. a man with a lisp and a speech impediment. If you're worried about that sort of thing, but it's so artfully done, you know, it's so brilliantly done. Yeah, that was about to become a Monty Python sketch. And, of course, the other thing that we <laughs> But, yeah, exactly. You know, And I hadn't even thought about that. So there's so many brilliant bits yeah. in it. Richard Herring. Yeah. You've been excellent. I really appreciate all of your time. Now, however, when you went to do a Twitch record of your stone clearing, and it was yeah. a few years in the future, you'd built up this wall of stones... Quite high. I mean, Trump was tweeting you like he was impressed <laughs> with this wall you'd been building of stone clearing. Yeah. He was one of your Twitch followers, by the way. That's a little sub story you didn't know about. Uh, uh-huh. And you've built this wall, you're stone clearing. You're doing a special live stream Twitch to raise money for comedian school that you're trying to set up. And, yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, it got up to space. You'd planned it to get up to space, but it's gone further. <laughs> and you stood there, and the connection's a bit faulty on your phone trying to film it and it collapsed onto you yeah. it wasn't caught on camera and you were perfectly entombed in these stones <laughs> in- yeah. immediately as promised i come round to take over the family <laughs> uh, yeah. but also to bury you but i come out there you're already buried perfectly and in yeah. your will it says if i die under some stones and stone glue, don't move me <laughs> don't touch anything <laughs> and i go oh fine big old mess of stones but so I'm looking at it, I'm like what can I what can I do and really there's only enough room in the clearing of stones that I could slip one DVD between the stones for you to yeah. take to the other side and on the other side it's movie night every night one night it's your movie night what film are you taking to show everyone in heaven when it's your movie night Richard Herring go I'm taking the extended version of Spinal Tap Ooh. I'm taking with all the all the extra scenes what a lovely you're gonna have to trip. slot in two DVDs <laughs> <laughs> or just use it at the end you know put it on a little thing and put it into a computer now we don't have yeah to have we'll DVD put it on one disc because the rules are the rules yeah. richard herring you've been wonderful thank you is, thank you very is much there anything you would like to tell people to listen out for or look out for if they have aren't already 
of yours? Well, yeah, my podcast, Rahalastapo, is yeah. out every week and you can watch some of them live streamed on twitch.tv slash Herring on Wednesdays during the lockdown, maybe beyond, who knows. So that was episode 96. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat and the full uncut video with Richard. Go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating if you can, and write about the film that means the most to you and why. Listen, I hope everyone is well. I hope you're all doing good. And thank you for listening. Thank you for being involved. Thanks to Richard for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAST for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. Lisa Lydon for the artwork. Come join me next week, where I believe my excellent guest will be the amazing, the incredible, the phenomenal Sarah Millican. Uh-oh! So in the meantime, have a lovely week, and please be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.